Well, I'm, I'm sorry to say this, Clay, but it looks like we're going to have to uh, cut the, the podcast something pretty short because uh, it looks like Amy and I are getting a divorce. Uh, she found out that I was pickling my prick in the cunt brine of another, and it's just been downhill since then. Well, Wes, you know what they say, and please apologize to your wife if she ever hears me say this. <laughs> but the world abounds in cunt of every kind. It's true. Well, you've I feel heard, you've so heard, you, often. You, please, <laughs> please, Amy, I apologize. I can feel her anger just coming doing, up the stairs. We're just doing a bit here. <laughs> this is what the audience demands. She understands. Mm. But you've perked me up. Uh, I am fully I, upright. <laughs> I have to say, this had some of the nastiest lines, I think, of the, the whole series so mm-hmm. far. Mm-hmm. David Milch's pen was smoking as he was writing yeah, this script. Yeah, just real angry, <laughs> real nasty. Focusing on one character in particular, I think. But we are here after our own season break to talk about the first episode of the second season of Deadwood. And this one's called A Lied Agreed Upon Part 1, the only two-parter in the, uh, the show's history. But we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about just Part 1 in this episode. So we're going to play the music. We'll take a little bit of a break. We'll come back and we'll break it down. You're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood and tell you something pretty. Before too much time passes, Clay, I did want to say that there needs to be some kind of pickle product that is based on that Tolliver line of... About, about because oh I, there might be some kind of rights uh, being infringed there, but it's just too, you know. Forget about that stork. Who's the stork? The mascot for Vlasic? Is it Vlasic? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yes. Is that the only pickle brand that one knows? Is Vlasic best pickles? Um, there might be some Heinz. Heinz makes pickles. I'd assume they must make Heinz probably. Pickles. Yeah, yeah that that seems on brand. They make relish. They already got the pillow. They already have the pickles in house. They just haven't chopped them yet. Someone needs to get that stork to say that side Tolliver line and just make that an ad for Vlasic Pickles. I think that stork talks in the if there if there was ever a use what? for AI voice cloning, just well, to get the cartoon mascot of a pickle company to say one of the most horrible things you could say about a woman. Why why is the why is it a stork mascot for that for Vlasic Pickles? That's a strange. I haven't seen those ads in a long time. I don't even know if that company still exists. I know. When was the last time you saw a pickle ad of any kind? No, it's true. I make my own pickles these days. Yeah. I think I got the time. We traveled with that woman and her boy. Well, the lady was traveling with you, her husband, the sheriff, whereas pickling his prick in the cunt brine of another. This is A Lie Agreed Upon, part one, the first episode of the second season of Deadwood. It was directed by Ed Bianchi, written by David Milch. In this one, Joni Stubbs awaits the arrival of stagecoach by stagecoach of three prostitutes and an old friend, Maddie, who will serve as the madam in her new brothel. The prostitutes share the stagecoach with Bullock's wife and child. Swearingen learns that the territorial governor has divided the country around Deadwood into three counties, each with its own commissioner from Yankton. Murder the three of them. See how they like being commissioners after they're dead, Doherty tells Swearingen. Bullock, fresh from his tryst with Alma, steps off the Grand Central wearing his sheriff's badge. Bullock and Swearingen fight like dogs in the street. The stagecoach with Bullock's wife and child pulls up. Swearingen looks up from the carnage. 
Welcome to fucking Deadwood, he says. Alma visits the hardware store for a closer look at Bullock's wife, Martha. Departing the house he built with, uh, for his wife and boy, Bullock walks back to the Grand Central and into Alma's arms. So we're at the start of season two, which is kind of uh, progress. We're one third of the way through our little show here talking about Deadwood. And um, the production team at this point is pretty much what they had in the first season. So you've got Milch, Jody Worth, Elizabeth Sarnoth, Ted Mann, and Ed Bianchi are the producers and writers on the show. Bianchi directs a lot of the episodes too. And um, I just thought that this was interesting. So from the Deadwood Bible, it says, Milch and his writers were about five weeks out from production. They needed to agree on an outline for the season-long story and drill down on individual scripts because nobody wanted a repeat of the first season where they ran behind. When Ed Bianchi arrived on set four weeks ahead of the start date of production, there were pages, 12 of them. Bianchi says, so I read them and they're fantastic. And then he rewrote those 12 pages for a month until we started shooting. He never progressed. <laughs> he literally rewrote those 12 pages. And I'm not sure that they got better. They didn't get worse. One was as good as the other. It was almost like he couldn't choose. And then once the show started shooting, he could, he, then he could find uh, that he could start writing the rest. He's a gambler and I think he needed the juice to deliver. So the 12 mm. pages are the 12 pages that start off this episode itself, which is all I agreed upon part one. So For him, the action is the juice. It is the juice. R.I.P. Tom Sizemore. When you feel the juice coming around the corner, you got to make lemonade. So when, when, you feel the, when you feel the juice coming <laughs> around the corner, you better hope you're not within kissing distance of his wife. <laughs> Uh, what do you think of this one? This is all I agreed upon, part one. Uh, I, I, lo- I thought it was good. I don't know if I, if it was a great season opener. Oh, interesting. Yep. Because um, I, I found it to be more so than the first season, I, I found it to be very sort of dense to try and really get into what was going on. Um, because a lot of the 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 talking was was the 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 stylization of the dialogue plus how oblique they are about what they're talking about was was kind of dense. Um, but mostly, I was just kind of uh taken off guard by how much it was jumping around. Yep, and how how choppy it was at the beginning, and it's like and it, it was. More so than the style of the of the filmmaking and whatnot, it felt very strange to me that they picked up where they did in the story because it felt like they jumped over a lot of stuff that most other shows would kind of their second season would be about. Yeah, you mean like, in terms of timing? Because uh, just to be clear, like a couple months have passed since. Um, yeah, the first like you have Bullock's been the sheriff for two months. Joni has established her place. Eddie apparently is just gone. Is he just gone from the show? Yes, he's gone from the show. Yeah, he's just gone from the show. Yep. He, um, um, he filmed background product. He filmed a death scene in the season finale, the first season, and mm-hmm. they did not choose to include it in the episode. They tried to call him back to do his death scene in this episode, and he refused to come back to the show. So they just wrote really? it out that way by saying that he left town. Yeah. That's interesting. Do you know? Do you know how he was supposed to die? Tolliver, Cy Tolliver, was supposed to kill him. 
Oh, okay. I think he was supposed to find out about him stealing from him uh, in that that incredibly slow process of of, of uh, yes. glad handing a couple <laughs> chips every day to to pay off. Joni's Apparently, apartment. he was very good at it because he got Joni <laughs> enough money for a down payment on a on a plot of land, yeah. or whatever, or a building or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that felt strange that they just kind of leapt over all that stuff. Um, Feels like a relic fights. of TV past, doesn't it? Like where where things would happen between seasons and they wouldn't have a way to fix it in between. It doesn't feel like modern yeah. TV does that as much. Yeah, yeah, and like the the fight between Bullock and and uh, Swearingen feels like it either should have been in the season finale of the first season or a few episodes down the road of the second season because it seems to be. I mean, obviously, it's. Um, Instigated more so by Swearingen's uh, state of mind and phys- physical being, yeah, uh, than anything else. Than anything else, but it kind of, it feels like it's the two of them coming to blows because I mean, he, Swearingen kind of says in dialogue that uh, Bullock isn't exactly what he thought he was going to be in terms of. Uh, being helpful to Al as yes. as yeah. the the sheriff, and it's it's kind of strange that they just kind of jump over all that stuff. Um, but I mean, I guess it depends on what you what your show cares about, and I guess they decided the story they wanted to tell was further down the line. It's just it was just jarring to me, and so to come back and see how much stuff had maybe honestly, maybe it's because we're watching these so close together. And there isn't like the 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 usual break between seasons, right? You don't have a summer, an back. actual summer, to forget about the episodes or something. Yeah, and like you know, if you're not watching the show for three months, yeah, and you come back and the and the people have advanced three months, it doesn't really, it might not feel as weird as it does here, where it's just like the the next thing they do, a lot of stuff has happened. Yeah, I was kind of struck by. Um, we didn't even get to meet Bummer Dan. No, no. <laughs> I mean, he's, he has the he has the uh, Paramount Plus shorts episodes that you're yeah. supposed to watch in between the seasons. <laughs> you know, you know what I didn't like about the Bummer Dan shorts? Too much fan service. Yeah, it was it was kind of obviously it was a money grab because they knew that people were going to subscribe to Bummer Dan content no matter what the, yeah. the, what the price was. <laughs> Bummer Dan Universe when is what we're asking. <laughs> But yeah, so I mean, if you were wondering in the shorts, that's when the guy actually got pissed on. So if you were confused about uh, what was going on, you needed to watch that content. Yes, yes. I was um I was surprised mostly. Although the by, shorts technically aren't actually canon, is what I've read. Well, yeah, he wasn't wearing shorts when he pissed on him. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but um, but it was. I was mostly. Uh, I had a, I had a couple takeaways from it. So mm-hmm. the first one, I was surprised by how much exposition is done to explain where we were last season. There's a, there's a lot of it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that ties into your, like, we're watching this right in a row and there's usually a month break or, you know, there's usually a, a good portion of time between seasons on HBO. Mm-hmm. And um, that struck me, how often characters had to somewhat awkwardly restate where they were and what they were doing for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it seemed... As because we've been watching it week by week, it seemed obvious to me where they were. So it, it, that struck me. Uh, the bigger picture is though, I remember season two being my least favorite season out of all mm. of them, and I specifically remember that the opening couple episodes of season two feel slow and that they don't um, have the same sort of pizzazz that the first season did. 
which left me a little bit surprised because I loved this episode. I thought that this was really good, and I really had a lot mm-hmm. of fun watching this one. Uh, so I don't know if my perception on season two is going to change, but that's my general takeaway that I am operating from is that I generally remember season two to be the weakest of the seasons, although I might just be wrong about that and we'll see how it goes. But I do remember the early episodes being a little bit off here, though. I thought um, I, I th- the, the thing that I liked about this is that it's clearly an episode that has come in with a little bit of a break for the writer. So there is there's like an extra bit of pizzazz to it. It's yeah. um. And I think that the actors have grown and Milch has grown in understanding how to write characters. But like so many of the scenes are so fucking funny in the, in this yeah. one, the, um, when Dan and Al are talking about the telegraph poles coming into town <laughs> and he's like, when's he's, he's like, I don't think it's much different from just getting a letter. He's like, when the fuck did you last get a letter from a stranger? And he says, when bad, when I heard bad news about Pa, <laughs> he says, bad fucking news messages from invisible sources. Or what some people think of as progress. Well, ain't the heathens you smoke signals all through recorded history? How's that a fucking recommendation? Well, seems to me like you know, letters posted one person to another is just a slower version of the same idea. When's the last time you got a fucking letter from a stranger? Bad news about Paul. Bad news. It tries against our interests is our sole communications from strangers. So by all means, let's let's plant poles all across the country, festoon the cocktucket with wires to hurry the sorry word and blinker our judgments of motive, huh? He's giving it more thought than me. Ain't the state of things cloudy enough? Don't we face enough fucking imponderables? Well, by God, you give the word, Al, and them poles will be kindling. Uh, the the scene where Al. After the fight, and I was beaten up, and he's trying to dress himself, in the, and he's in the bar, and he impersonates EB is oh hysterical, unbelievable. That that whole sequence is astounding. Like the even the makeup that Swearingen is wearing for his like his fucked up face and stuff like that mm-hmm. is great. Detailed Bullock's condition. The worst for wear. No clarity to his look or focus, as I could cite in other combatants. You touch me, EB. I'll put your nose through your fucking brain. Now, did he state his further intentions? To have his gun and badge back. In what fucking tone? Well, I'd shy from putting a name on it, Al. He was talking to an eight-year-old. Sound like he'd be coming back for more? Well, I'd hate to guess and be wrong. New whores on that coach, huh? Find out where they'll be working. I could take him his gun and badge, plumb his intent as we talked. And how would that chat start, E.B., huh? Here's your hardware, and as he looks a cunt anyway, I would like it to have this rose. I'll uh, look into the new whores. I, I just feel that um, it's a super dense episode that has a lot going on, and they have to remind you of things, but I thought that the individual scenes burned so brightly in this one yeah. in a way that maybe the first uh, season never really captured consistently across an episode where there were there were great scenes in previous episodes of the first season but this one just had one after another like Tolliver's at his worst and he's just yeah. awful uh swearingen's yeah. beat up bullock and alma has come to a head and all this stuff it's, it's got a lot going on but i really like the scenes in it i think that's part of what it is for me like i i do i agree i i, re, I really liked what they were doing the individual scenes were really good <clears throat> but they are so high intensity right out of the gate that it feels like it's the culmination of something instead of the beginning of something, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> which maybe is by design. I don't know. Like the the uh, I was I was very interested 
<clears throat> excuse me, in uh, the musical choice for the first 10 minutes or so because I felt like I was watching Heat or uh, <laughs> The Dark Knight or something because yeah. there was just this low, uh, increasingly aggressive hum in the background that that uh, climaxes in the, the fight between Al and... Uh, <clears throat> Alan Seth. Yeah. Which when with that in mind it's like okay that makes sense. But the scenes that they're showing you on top of that hum don't necessarily match up with the I don't know there's just like I I I got what they were doing but it's it's weird feeling this like aggressive tension rising hum over Seth Bullock talking to um Alma about paperwork about her gold claim <laughs> that being well, said that was all like, a front all a front for their passion Oh, of course yes um yeah like i i think powers booth gets more to do in this episode than he did the entire first season i think yeah, yeah. and he really he really goes for it. they really size i'm most interested to see what they do with side this season because of this episode yeah because he's so uh off his rocker and 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 side uh what's the word i'm looking for just take taken taken off guard by yeah. by what uh the arrival of the borg queen yes yeah the other the other thing that ties this into a star trek reference is that alice i think it's Kriege. alice Kriege is the the borg queen from first contact and she's maddie the the madam who comes to Joni's rescue in this one i feel like i've the, the only things i've ever seen her in are first contact this and uh uh gretel and hansel where she yeah, plays the the, horror, the witch, the horror movie, like the recent yeah. horror movie. Yeah, and I'm, I feel like she, she only has one one style of acting that she does in every one of these things, where mm-hmm. she's kind of like aloof. Yeah, and and uh, aloof quiet, and, aloof, quiet. Yeah, like cold sort of. Um, yeah, because she 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 does have board queen vibes in this one. Uh, she's mm-hmm. not she's not super emotional or anything like that. Although it's really the the women in this one are just trying to sort of fend off Tolliver and it's not to mm-hmm. aggravate him. So they they're relatively restrained around him. Um it's another one too where she shows up and there's a bit of an Andy Crammed kind of thing where it's tall uh Cy clearly knows this woman. Yes. But yeah. but we don't know why he knows this woman yeah. or how. There's just some sort of there's a lot of stuff being unsaid that is being taken into account of the scene that the two of them are doing. Yeah. But we, we don't know what that is. Yeah. 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 Uh, she's come in to help Joni set up her chez Ami, her new place that she got from money that was stolen by Eddie from side Tolliver. And then Tolliver, uh, recognizing that decides that he, because it was money stolen from him, he now owns a piece of the chez Ami. So, uh, that'll be the way that that goes. We can talk about Sai. um, Certainly, uh, I think that's um, the the key. the The main character of this one, interestingly, is Bullock. I think mm-hmm. uh, even more than Swearingen and everything like that. I think that this is really a Bullock episode, and I'm pretty sure the next episode is also a Bullock thing because it deals with a lot of the Bullock fallout. Um, but yeah, this is the episode where his family, his wife and child, have arrived in Deadwood now, and. The thing that's setting up Al to be so frustrated with Bullock is that the territorial control has been dividing the area into these counties that Swearingen is always talking about, and the governors or the like the stewards of all the counties are not hill people, so they're not people from the area they've just been politically appointed to be governors or whatever the the term is for out there mm-hmm. and this is making it difficult for Swearingen 
to do the things that he wants to do. And it's the sort of battle about like how much federal control is going to come in versus how much local control is going to exist in Deadwood, all the usual sort of arguments that we still have to this day. And Swearingen is annoyed with Bullock because Bullock has been uh, just basically having the summer 69 Brian Adams uh, <laughs> summer with Alma. And Al thinks that's, uh, that Bullock is not paying enough attention to the larger thing that's going on in the camp and that he's too obsessed with Alma and that he's not paying attention to the things that really matter for everybody on a larger sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what their disagreement is about. And that's what the, he sort of uh, goads Seth into a fight by insulting him and Seth Chount takes him on, uh, takes him up on that offer. But that's the, that's the thing. So what's interesting to me is that Bullock is clearly in the wrong for his, from his actions on every moments of this episode really like Bullock is fairly un um uh unsympathetic here he f- mm. he gets in a fight with Swearingen when Swearingen mostly is just insulting him because he's not paying attention to the larger point of things he has his horribly embarrassing family interactions with Alma he leaves Alma out on the lurch and then at the very end it's just filled with this this unspoken male and female interaction that the characters have to have, which is just, just that Martha Bullock is like furious at him. So that, that's why he can't go into the house at the end because he knows that he fucked up so badly and so he only has one oh, place. Oh, is that what's going on there? Yeah, yeah. Because so, I, I couldn't track what, what the point of that... Like, I, I, was, I just got lost in how uh, um, impenetrably stoic... Uh, Bullock's relationship with his wife is, mm-hmm. and so I his brother's <laughs> wife, to be fair, I guess. Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, uh, where he's saying all this stuff about not going into the house, and I wasn't, I wasn't really catching a lot of angry vibes from his wife. No, she's she's she. Anna Gunn does a great job in this one. She yeah. has to be angry without being angry. You know, it's her her role as the the mother of the house and the wife of the sheriff. Yeah, at this point. and so he's he's saying all this like oblique stuff about not being able to go into the house and it be, and his thoughts on the matter being in the letter. Yeah, and, and the kid doesn't understand. He, his son doesn't understand because he's not getting the argument that his parent his parents are having and stuff. like Yeah, that. and then they finally read the letter and and it's like. I chose pine for the house. And yep. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I get it. Like, I, that explained nothing. I don't. I, I was not totally catching what the vibe was supposed to be there. Yeah. So I, my, my- if I, I, I thought the, I thought the scene, the scene to me played more like uh, Martha is like. Can we go in the house? And and he's just being a fucking weirdo about it. Where he's like, it's all in the letter. It's, I, I I have to go now. She's like, well, can we go in the house? He's like, yeah. I listen. You got a key? I don't know. I gave you. Yeah, it's it's very strange. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just the um, it's the depth of the writing because that that misdirect is intentional. So like, you're you're supposed to be confused about what Bulk is talking about. And you think that his true feelings or that he's talked about Alma would be in the letter, but that's clearly mm-hmm. not what he's talking about. He's he's being written where he's speaking out of both sides of his mouth about he's not admitting to Martha about his feelings for Alma, and it's just sort of laying the trap for you as a viewer to think that he has written that in his letter when he's always talked about is how he built the house for them. Um, so, yeah, that's the... The fight that they're having was something that is sort of like relative. Like I didn't remember this fight happening this way this early, and it's mostly I think because Martha Bullock is so stoic and 
unable to show how she really feels about things because she's basically been horribly embarrassed here because it's clear from the interaction with Alma in the sh- in the store where uh, Saul is getting his surgery and Alma comes in and gives him a gift basket that everyone <laughs> in the town knows what's been going on here and yeah. Alma has made this horrible selfish decision to come in and sort of size up her rival that's come into town mm-hmm. and so Martha Bullock is just in this awkward position of having to go to a new place, grin and bear this like horrific insult that's come her way. And then you can't be angry with your husband because it's not. In a lot of ways, what's interesting about the episode is that it's a, it's about the relationship between men and women and how women have almost no power in this and have to be careful about what they do because mm-hmm. if they say or do the wrong thing, whether it be to Cy Tolliver, they might get stabbed or if it's to Seth Bullock, you're out of a place with your child and you have no home and no one to support you at that point. So it's walking that fine line uh, where women have to be careful around the men of the town because there's a variety of different options that could come their way. Yeah, I it's um the thi- the 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 thing in the letter that that did sort of parse through it a bit for me is that uh the end of the letter is him saying essentially that he's going to do everything he can to be a father to his brother's son and a husband to his brother's wife. And, and that is sort of um, emphasizes the embarrassment that I think he feels. Yeah. Because he, uh, he has already failed in doing that and they just got to town. Yep. And given the way that the episode ends, doesn't seem like he's going to be changing his, his ways anytime soon. And that's why I get so mad at Swearingen too, right? Because Swearingen is right. calling him out on this, this sort of, you know, they, they picked, he handpicked or he wanted Bullock because Bullock is this sort of like at least alleged paragon of virtue for being the sheriff where he's going to handle things appropriately. That's why Swearingen wants him in there. And mm-hmm. the walking contradiction is just that he can't even hold his personal life together in a way that's honorable. So yeah. why can't he... He's failing at his sheriff duties because his personal life is such a, a shamble and he's not paying attention to the things that matter. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he is kind of show uh, uh, again, I feel like there's uh <clears throat> some of this stuff is different difficult to parse out because it is stuff that I think would be easier to get if we got to see some of some more of this in action mm-hmm. where uh I think I think the place where it the last season ends it is that Bullock has taken up the position of being the sheriff as much for his own personal gain as anything else. Yep. Um, to defend himself against, to, um, yeah. Yeah. The almost family. And so to show to, 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 in this episode, try to show that he's being derelict of his official duty for personal reasons, I think they could have been a little bit clearer mm-hmm. um, because so much of it comes out through this this uh, dense dialogue. Yep, that it is the kind of thing where it's like, oh, maybe if we got a couple episodes of of actually seeing that Bullock is kind of skirting what he should be focusing on. Well, I mean, to uh, be like fair, his- he he is the the thing that Swearingen is watching him do is that he is move, helping Alma move her gold out of the town, which annoys Swearingen because Swearingen thinks that this is similar to how the the federal government is coming in and sort of like taking over. And what Alma Garrett is doing, instead of 
keeping the money in the town and sort mm-hmm. of making it their own thing. She's she's extracting the wealth and shipping it off to back home, basically. Yeah. And so what Bullock is doing is he's protecting this to enable to allow that to happen. And he's also fucking Alma there too. So it's like this completely selfish act that Bullock is spending his morning doing. Right. And Swearingen right. is watching him from across the balcony do this. And that's what's so upsetting to him. Self-deceiving cocksucker I am. I thought when America took us in, Bullock could prove a fucking resource. Look at him striding out like some randy maniac bishop. Sheriff! About his duties to the camp. Huh? Luck trouble didn't jump out earlier, huh, Bullock? Might have found you mid-thrusted other business. What is it? Taken by a vision? You would not want to be staring like that at me. It, it's, it's only Bummer Dan, but I, I think he's killed. Be where I can find you. I ain't going no place. So I, I, I think I think it's there. It's just it's um, the problem is that Swearingen's insults are so opaque as to what yeah, he's talking about that it's hard yes. to understand what he's what he means. But that's a Swearingen characteristic, I think. Yeah, and I, I and I, I'm not saying it's bad because I I do enjoy that the I do enjoy the way that this is all written. But this was this was the first one where I felt like it was per, uh, particularly dense yep. as far as parsing through what he and some of the other characters who are prone to talk like this we're talking about yeah yeah like i the scene with uh the first scene with uh bosch where he comes in and tells him what's going on uh regarding the guys coming in from yankton yeah i had to i had to hit the 15 second button a couple times just because i kept missing words oh, okay um just you know, when I'm, he's I'm talking watching. about the the governors or whatever being appointed yeah, yeah they're just they're 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 firing through so much stuff and I would like miss a word and it was always the word that was like important to what the next <laughs> thing was. So I had to go back and like, what's going on? Okay. These guys. Okay. They're, they're from the same, the same till as the other people. <laughs> <laughs> they got their hands in the same cookie jar. Are, they, are we, are we talking about elected officials or are we talking about like money? I, That's what's interesting to me because the, I don't find the, I, I mean, I'm obviously familiar with the show at this point, but I, I don't, I, I did learn that what I thought was a complicated plot in this show is not actually very complicated. Right. You know? Yes. It's yeah. fairly simple, but the way that they talk about it makes it seem like it's much more complicated and like uh, convoluted than it actually is. Mm-hmm. Really, it's just Al's upset that the the governors have not been Hill people appointees, and that's like an annoying thing that's going to steal some money from him. So yeah, it's... um. But it's clear. I, I think the good example is yeah what we just said, which is that his his insults to Bullock and the way that he talks to Bullock before they get into their fight. He's a little bit more clear before they get into their fight with each other. Um, is not super obvious, and it's almost um, it's almost surprising to me that Bullock fully understands what he's talking about. You know, like Bull- yeah. Bullock understands that he's being insulted quite viciously and he reacts accordingly that way. Yeah, it, it does seem like the kind of thing where it's it's one of those things that only only Al, it's one of those things that Al is really extremely upset about, but nobody else quite understands what's what the what the deal is. Yeah, yeah. Bullock um, has that line, meaning what? Yankton's making its move without more insults. <laughs> right. You know, when, when Swearington's yelling at him. So he doesn't quite pick up on it as, but that's always the way that Al speaks is kind of like vague about things. Yeah. And I, I think like, I, 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 I think I identify with, with 
characters like Johnny more than anybody right. else sometimes <laughs> where John something happens and Johnny just kind of looks at Dan and is like do I need to do anything? Yep. yep. Or what is he on about? Um they played off and then I and then I just yeah, shoot it shoot at whoever's giving me <laughs> You get guy. the big gun. <laughs> you want me to get the big gun? And they they play on that thing about Swearingen too in the the season finale of the first season. He vaguely he calls he because he's angry with Trixie, he calls her the other one constantly. And the mm-hmm. other characters kind of as a joke, the characters know who they're t- who he's talking about. And so they say, I'll go get Trixie, and that kind of upsets him. You can see this reaction that uh his um his distress is so obvious to them that he can't be as vague as he wants because they still understand what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah, it's um yeah, so Swearingen is not as central. He's really just supposed to be the one. He's like the uh, the Greek choir of this episode, who's explaining what Bullock's mindset is and mm-hmm. calling him out at uh, him being obviously getting into a fight, um, which Bullock gets the better on him over by the end. Although the 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 boy coming up at the end unmans Swearingen, as he says, and he wasn't able to kill Bullock. Um, but Al gets the worst of the fight. <laughs> and I like the fight scene too. It's pretty realistic. They don't really land yeah. a, a lot of connect. They don't connect on a lot of punches. And that was apparently intentional. They just end up pushing each other over the balcony and falling into the ground. Yeah. I, uh, um, on a recent AEW pay-per-view, they were doing a, uh, uh, a street fight match with, uh, uh two tag teams, of uh, uh, women wrestlers. Yep. And one of the, the spots towards the end of the match was, um, one girl power bombed the other girl off the the stage, like where the ramp is leading down to the the ring. Mm-hmm. Through su- was supposed to be through a table, but uh, there was only one table, and they kind of overshot it a bit. So the person doing the move landed on the table, and the person taking the move essentially got power bombed from five feet, ten feet off the ground onto concrete. Yep. And uh, it came out recently. She seemed to be okay, but it came out recently that she had dislocated ribs. Sure. Which I don't even know what that means, but it sounds <laughs> more painful than if they had just been broken. Yeah, than broken. Yeah. Because what do you, your ribs connect to your <clears throat> spine? The sternum, sternum and the spine. Yeah, yeah. So you just pop something out right there. Yeah. Anyway, it seems like he's got dislocated ribs or something. <laughs> yeah, and Al's sick uh, outside of that, obviously, because he's having trouble peeing. Yeah, um, U- which UTI he, or something. Which he attributes to age. <laughs> when when Bullock comes in, he says, he's pee, trying to pee into the chamber pot, and Bullock comes in, and they're about to fight, and Swinton says, age impedes my stream, not fucking fear of you. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I really liked how self-conscious he got about that stuff. Like when he yells at a uh, jewel, yep. uh, I- implying that he had, he had pissed over the, the ledge of the, of the balcony, <laughs> in which the is morning. why there wasn't, there wasn't as much piss in his, his pot there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he thinks that she's um, up to something too, because she mentions that she went, she gets Bullock's gun and badge from the room. She says she went in there to change his chamber pot. And he's like, is that some underhanded comments about my state of being or something like that? She denies it. Yeah, so he's not um, he's not doing particularly well. He's not feeling very well. Um, did you anything in, in particular you would want to discuss? I mean, there's the, the the women thing is the larger point around it, but the 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 scenes continue to just be um, exceptional. I think uh, the, the scene the scene with Alan Alan the guys and Eb is is hysterical. Eb comes in and he's like, it's like a Greek bat- god battle. Or something like that. <laughs> 
That's good. I I really I mean I really liked everybody congregating in the in the 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 bottom floor of the bar expecting to get ready for something to break out that way and then oh they just go flying over the side out to the street (laughs) like they're in the street (laughs) yep they're in the street that that turns into a colossal clusterfuck where a bunch of people get hurt charlie utter gets the shotgun shot outside of his ear Mm -hmm. Saul gets shot in the shoulder um and so everyone's a little bit worse for wear but yeah it's a I, I like the the gem scenes there with Dan and uh, Silas are getting a little bit antagonistic towards each other mm-hmm. too because Silas pulled off Dan from uh, killing Bullock. Um, so there's things going on. They're they're building starting plot threads and things. Dan like that. Dan has a good line. Um, not not talking to uh, Silas, but earlier I think he's talking to Johnny, and he kind he has a, a a very it's a very Al kind of line of 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 dialogue where he's talking about something else but he's clearly talking about himself yeah i can't remember what it's it's something i think it has something to do with the new people coming in and trusting them or something like that i can't remember exactly yeah he's talking about the the new government coming in about how um that's why al is so upset trying to explain that situation and he's the subtext is you're saying he's talking about silas coming into the group yeah yeah which was i feel like dan doesn't usually get that sort of uh layered dialogue so Nice to see him get I, a little bit of that. I stuff. thought this was the best Dan episode between yeah, the, was the, the telegraph yeah. poles and the talking to Johnny about Silas. I thought he, I thought he, he feels, I feel like he's developed quite a bit into a character who has, who has his own voice. He was mostly just a heavy in the first season, really. Yeah, yeah. and he's got that. Uh, he does have that good line to Silas where he's, what does he say one out of one out of ten times somebody comes at me like that and I don't shoot them? And yeah, that was your yeah. one. Or that something. was your one. Yeah, yeah, it's good stuff. Look, all I'm saying is I ain't your enemy. Well, whatever you thought your intentions was, coming on me like you did, nine times out of ten, that'll be the last fucking move you ever make. Bullock will be coming back for his weapon. To what intent? Open question. Well, we'll be ready. You've had you one out of ten. And then Seth and Alma have their little tryst. Um, mm-hmm. They officially... Yeah, very... St- aggressively loud tryst apparently yeah with the plaster coming down and everything i mean and that's the uh that ties into the obliviousness of seth and stuff like that yeah. swear engine so upset i by. i loved having uh the, the scene where sarah paulson is well sarah paulson on the show now um <laughs> molly parker uh no no where sarah paulson it has to um wipe the plaster away from Sophia's book while she's trying oh, to teach oh, her. Oh, yeah, Miss Miss Isrenhausen, Isren I think is her, yeah, the uh, the character's name. Yeah, she knocks the plaster off the little girl's head. Yeah, I thought th- <laughs> I just thought that was a really a really good image of uh of of the the her being neglectful of Sophia and yep. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's coming coming down on her head, <clears throat> I guess. Yeah, and <laughs> they I mean, I I I imagine I can't imagine that the hotel structure is an incredibly stable thing back then no. when they threw those things up. You know, I'll tell you, I can't remember if I've told this story on another podcast, but <laughs> uh, my girlfriend used to live in a house with a number of roommates. Yep. And one of them who lived on the top floor, uh, when he would have a a, a female friend over. Yeah. He was a powerful the, lover. The activities were so aggressive, it would literally shake the whole house. And yep. we're talking like a... <laughs> We're talking like a large 10, 11 room, 
Victorian style house. Yeah. So this is a house that's been around for like a hundred years, <laughs> and I had I witnessed it. I was I was she uh, she had the room below his. Yep. And so I woke up one night at like two o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, "Why am I moving?" <laughs> Getting, getting everybody, getting everybody off. No, that's a, that's there's a supreme confidence to that because you can't you you can't go hard like that for seven seconds. You know what I mean? Like you, <laughs> if you're gonna go that way, you've got a you've got a you know you're running a, a marathon at that point because you got you got a name to maintain. Yeah, I don't think uh, did we have any. No, I'm just, I mean. This is, you're not going to enjoy this, but you're going to remember it. <laughs> it's all, that's why you go to those big theaters with the big sound systems, just so you feel it in your bones. <laughs> even, if, even if it's you're watching Star Wars prequels or something like that, you feel the sound. Yeah, we did, we did used to call him THX. Oh, there you go. See? Yeah. yeah. Dolby Surround. <laughs> Thomas Dolby. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think I had nothing weird like that. I feel, I feel that was still kind of a rare event, like, um, Although living in the Fenway, you would occasionally hear people going at it, um, and that was always just kind of it's like it's like a very childish thrill. That even though forty now, if I still heard it, I'd be like, "Turn the TV down. Something's happening somewhere. <laughs> I have to go find out who it is." After we've made love, are you sometimes happy? Because I get up from the bed. Is that why you wonder? I'll intend something. Come to myself realizing I've only stood or sat thinking about you. Just now that your toes are beautiful. When I'd intended to replenish the kindling. (laughs) I was raised believing Dereliction of duty is the one sure way to happen. So often with you, I've been perfectly happy. A lie agreed upon. Oh, the sex scene. And also we learned that uh, historical accuracy matters in armpit uh, matters. Ah, yes. So. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I thought that the I, I was really interested by the, the Tolliver stuff. Yep. We can get to Tolliver. Yeah, I, I, uh, he had a lot going on. Like Powers Booth really is firing on a number of different cylinders at once in this episode. As far as him being furious, but being upset and embarrassed, and all these different things. And it's, I feel I found that the people in this show, the actors in the show, play anger in a so much more of a believable and relatable way than pretty much anything else that I've seen because they're never just angry. It's always, there's always something else tangible that is the root of the anger they're expressing towards somebody else. Like anytime Al gets angry at someone, even in this episode, the way that he speaks to Bullock is not just because he's pissed off about him being uh lackadaisical in his in his day-to-day whatever and not being aware of what's happening in yankton it's also because he's got a fucking prostate infection or something yeah. and it's <laughs> you know it's like there's there's and and with with tolliver he's he's 
he's just really hurt and embarrassed and that and he is using that anger he's using that as the basis to just hurl the most aggressive stuff he can at Joni short of actually like pulling a knife on her. Yes. And the thing that makes it the the worse for him is that she completely just takes it. And, and or I should say she lets it all just run right off of her and she yeah. doesn't really give him much of a response. And that just is the thing that like stokes his anger even more. And it's just, it's just really, really well done. And it's, it's, it's act. I, I think a lot of this stuff in the hands of lesser actors is not, is definitely not as good because I think a lot of them might key into a single element of, yeah. of these performances, but not all of them at once. Yeah, I think um, I think it's Powers Booth's best performance as Tolliver. He definitely yeah. has a lot going on, and he has to extend it for like long sequences of scenes. I, I, um, Tolliver to me is the most explicit example of the threat that women are under. That this show. Um, kind of surprisingly is a large focus. Like the the, the state yeah. of women is a surprisingly large focus of this show. And uh, Tolliver's scenes are about that. Tolliver's scenes are about the threat that people like Joni face. And they just do little things like he, um, you, you watch it very concerned that, especially after what you've seen the Tolliver is capable of doing, the entire scene is built around him yelling about things, but he's also doing little things like he keeps smacking stuff off the desk all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he touches her face, and you kind of expect him to hit her at that at that point. Yeah, um, it's just really they they and they do it in a way that's not. There's no like incre- There's no like constant close ups to like build tension. There's no like music that's like building and stuff like that where you think that something's going to happen. It's all done just through the performance. And when he's talking to Joni initially, it's almost all done through that single camera shot of it's just the two shot where the two of them are looking at each other across the desk. Mm-hmm. And there's no real cuts or anything like that. They just let the actors go at it. And um, I'm just impressed by that, that the it represents just the women's constant concern that like violence is imminent to them. And you have to kind of walk this fine line when dealing with people like Tolliver and that you kind of have to let him... You have to be careful not to insult him because that'll cause some problem. But you also have to be able to stand up for yourself to get what you want. And Joni walks that line pretty effectively and it leaves Tolliver very frustrated. And it's just another building thing of like we saw it in the first season that Tolliver's Tolliver's real trauma and like emotional problem is that he doesn't seem to be willing to be able to be abandoned by people. He just doesn't Mm -hmm. want that to happen ever. So you can read into his backstory however you want that to be. But Eddie betrayed him. He feels like Joni's betraying him with the stolen money. And he is lashing out in every way that he can possible, including just outright denying that he's sending one of his whores to be a spy when that's actually what right. he is doing at the Shizemi. <laughs> um, but we'll see how that all pans out with their new place and how the girls over there uh, work together. Yeah, and the consideration of 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 the women and and how they're treated and the danger they constantly face is is kind of it's kind of what you you have to get into it if you're going to be honest about uh the time period and have these sorts of characters in there because I mean traditionally westerns don't exactly have a lot of great female characters. They're yeah. mostly the the wives of the cowboys or yep someone they meet along the trail that just happens to be cool yeah. or you know it's the like, reason for the the reason for the righteousness to potentially just yeah. Like the, yeah yeah it's a male yeah, like it's even, a male genre 
even Unforgiven, where they have that whole subplot involving the uh, the whores hiring yep. the uh, money and his buddy there to to kill Little Bill or whatever. Yeah. Even there, it's like they're kind of there as they're just there to support Will Will Money's chain. Like they're not really that that interesting. Like they don't give them a ton to do. No. Um. And so in this for for a movie like this to uh, sorry a show like this to to actually give these characters agency and give them um realistic if you want to call it that uh story lines with with weight and stuff it's yeah. definitely something you have to get into. Yeah, historically accurate I think. And I I talked about how initially uh just like factually that there were so few women in Deadwood when it was founded mm-hmm. and most of them were just prostitutes. Uh, so there yeah. wasn't a large family of, of uh, contingency. And that's, that's the thing too, right? I mean, given the type of men that are here, they are very aggressive, very controlling. So the women who are there are going to be constantly under the threat of some sort of, yeah. if, if they're not there as subjugated already, um, there's always the chance that they are going to be subjugated in some way, yeah. um, given the type of people who are in this town. And I, I think the show draws uh, is careful to draw comparisons there where Alma's not much better off in a lot of ways. Like Alma doesn't yeah. maybe have the constant threat, although she was raped by her father and stuff like that. There, there's not the... The constant threat of physical violence is not always there in the way that it is to Trixie and the rest of the whores, but Alma is... Um, similarly imprisoned in a way that she can't get what she wants. And here it's, you know, it, it also kind of feeds into her flaws as a character, which is that she feels that she should be able to get whatever she wants, which mm-hmm. is why she does the the thing with Bullock here um, and does the drop by in her uh, scarlet letter red dress. Which I is, know, I that has to be on purpose, yes, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the adulteress shows up with her scarlet dress uh, instead of just a letter stitched into it um, to embarrass herself, embarrass Bullock. And I, I, I find that scene funny just because, like, that's a great example of an acted scene because the dialogue there is just people going, how are you? I'm good. Yes. How are you? Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I, I would love to know what the script for that actually looks like. Like, is there is that is any of that stuff written into the into the the scene directions right with, just yeah. you're looking at this page and goes alma how are you how do you do <laughs> martha how do you do william how do you do this is my this is my son william william how do you do william how do you, it's just okay sure yep. yes but then then you see it acted out and you're like oh yeah okay mr Bullock. this is good how are you feeling mr star i've puked twice mrs garrett Trixie. Mr. Otter. Ma'am, uh, don't be alarmed. A lot of this damage is old. May I introduce my wife, Martha, and our son, William. Mrs. Alma Garrett. How do you do? How do you do? How do you do, William? How do you do? And Ellsworth, who superintends Mrs. Garrett's claim. Ma'am. William. How do you do? Yeah, I imagine it's all scene description and action description as opposed to just the dialogue of it. Or maybe maybe Milch, Milch just turned around and was like, well, they took that in a different direction. I was expecting that just to be a, how are you, what's your name? Well, yeah, kind of I, always, I always wonder. I mean, I, haven't, I honestly haven't read enough scripts to, to know how this stuff is handled all the time. But typically, 
I, I, my understanding is that you, you don't want to over direct in yep. your scripts. So I don't know how much of that is on the page in the descriptions yep. or how much of it is, okay, here's the thing. Here's a general idea of the, of the, the tension of the scene at the beginning. And then it kind of gets back into, well, once you get on stage and you get on the set, you kind of, that's when you really kind of work it out. There's, um, to bring back to Deadwood, in the Deadwood Bible, they'd say that Milch was a big fan of um, putting those. What are they? I guess they are called sort of like act or scene, not scene description, but like actor, like the parenthetical action in a script where it's like it's in the dialogue box, but it's in the oh, parentheses sure. that explain how the actor is supposed to play it. Like Alma parentheses, reticent. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Milch was apparently the the Swearingen tendency. Milch writes a lot of himself into Swearingen, obviously, and the, the Swearingen tendency uh, to feel that he has explained something and not have anyone understand him is apparently something that was like, it's a big issue with him, apparently. And mm. the, the joke would be that he would write, um, there was some, a little bit of dra- uh, drama between him and some of the writers in the second season, Jody Worth in particular, um, and just like Milch and his scripts would write in the parentheticals um, even though Swearingen has explained this very clearly, the people <laughs> listening do not understand. And so it would be like full sentences just saying like that, and then he would pass the script on to somebody. So his his scripts were apparently filled with little things like that. So I imagine he was someone who existed largely in the um, unsaid really dialogue funny. aspects of things. Yeah. I, I actually just found the, the pilot script, but I, I couldn't find any other ones. I'm going to have to read through that. I'd be interested to see. Yeah. What, what, yeah. It, what it feels like. No, see if there's, um, there's none in the book that I have, unfortunately. I would have thought that would have been surprising. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Given, given how highly regarded his writing is, you would think that a, a book that was like an ultimate Deadwood book or something would have, yeah, at least excerpts or something. Yeah. You would, you would imagine it might, might just be the process of how it was written that maybe things weren't kept afterwards. You'd, you'd, I would find that surprising, I guess. But if he's just writing scenes and sort of stapling them into, the oh, shooting sure. script yeah. as they have. Maybe there's no final version of it. Yeah, that's possible. Um, yeah, so size, excellence in this one. Joni takes off. Uh, Eddie's gone. <laughs> and um, Cy has the tremendous final line, the only good woman's got maggots in her eyes or something like yeah, that. As he man, licks he his lips just, and glares. Yeah. Just brutal in this episode. Yeah. What other scenes are in this one? We talked about the fight. Uh, uh Swearingen uh, was decided to lose. Do you think it was right that Swearingen loses the fights because it was decided that Seth Bullock, being twenty years younger, was the only way that that was actually possible to happen? Which makes sense to me. Yeah, I think I I, I like the way the fight played out. I like that it was. Uh, again, they continue to do these things with Al where they keep him from being totally irredeemable by giving him little bits of humanity. Where if he he sees the kid watching him, and that's what stops him from 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 killing Bullock. Yeah. Yeah. Unmanned him. Unmanned him. He's yes. embarrassed later on, obviously. Yes. Yeah. I uh we we didn't talk about the scene where uh William stares at the girl's boobs and then farts <laughs> in the carriage. <laughs> totally unrelated, but been there. David. <laughs> David. We're running long for time. <laughs> what should we cut? No. Uh we should cut the scene where Eddie gets killed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I feel like there's another scene we could cut for this episode. No, 
No, we, let's cut the Eddie scene. <laughs> well, all right. In, in contrast to the how are you doing scene, the fart scene was seven pages of script. That was <laughs> <laughs> magnificent. Those are the 12 pages it's that Milt was working on at the start of the season for days and days. It's just description upon description of what William, of, of just what he is seeing bursting out of the bustier <laughs> of the woman across from him. Just um, very much like the the girl with the dragon tattoo that author was obsessed in that book with what people were eating. I think most was just obsessed with what young William was eating on his, mm-hmm. on his carriage ride out. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, that's funny that those two got stuck with the, uh, the prostitutes that are coming out too. And imagine mm-hmm. riding in that fucking cart for like 600 miles to oh, get wherever God. you're going. Your back would be, your back would be done by the end of it. Yeah. And they're so cl- It's such close quarters. Yeah. Yeah. The, even with no windows, the farts, it's still just in there. It's You know what it's like? Imagine being on a plane with how close those seats are, but every seat is facing the one in front. Like they, right. they're just, yeah. you're facing the person in front of you <laughs> instead of back to front. Yeah, they can't talk. It's all that like uh, discomfort with each other back then too. I mean, it's obviously not easy to talk to people now if you're staring at them. You get some psycho sitting across the plane seat from you. Uh, I, did, I did also like, uh, was it... Is it Tolliver who has the, the 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 thing about the excitement of a new carriage coming to town, speculating who might be in it if it's uh, yeah, or President is that Hayes? No, it's a Tolliver. He's like is President President yeah. Hayes or something like that. Yeah, who might it be? Yeah, I like that. That was good. Joni Stubbs and Miss Lila. What brings you to there this fine spring morning? Stage from Bismarck. Bismarck, you say. Don't the kid and all of us look forward to the new arrival? I still tingle at the bottom of my balls. <laughs> Who could it be? President Hayes? Maybe it's jugglers or face painters. Where do you feel it, honey? Bottom of your balls. The telegraphs are coming in. We talked about that. I think that's pretty much it for all the scenes that's in this one. Um Bullock brings his family to the house at the very end. All that stuff. I'm just looking at the um, the summary here. Bullock, she does his tryst. They fight. Welcome to fucking Deadwood. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess just focusing on Bullock's thing for a little bit before we go, because I think it is pretty important, and it feeds into the second part of this two-parter, allegedly, which is interesting that they thought it was a two-parter. Um. The catchphrase of the show is the title of this one, which is a lie agreed upon. Um, and I think that it it summarizes a lot of what Deadwood is about, really, which mm-hmm. is that we talked about earlier. It's just this sort of unspoken agreement that something that does not exist or is a construct is something that we have to agree on uh, the way that it is. Uh, the Bullock marriage is a good example of that. I mean, marriage in general is kind of that idea, which is that it's a construction, uh, but it is something... The lie is important in a lot of ways. Uh, the lie represents something. Mm-hmm. And I think Milt is obsessed with that idea in the show. And it's all starting to sort of crack around Bullock as were, what the lie means. Were you uh, were you quoting directly from your wedding vows just then? I was, yeah. No, I, I lost our wedding vows on the th- on the uh, the day of the wedding. And Amy was very upset. So I couldn't. Did you I really? Could, I did. I was supposed to bring them and I didn't. So. Oh, oh, for both of you? Yeah. She, well, oh, well, thank boy. you, Clay, for taking my side of things. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, 
I forgot them. They were on like the nightstand or something. Oh boy. Oh well. So what did you what did you do? Just you just, just, just it? it. Yeah, I said take this trumpet, babe. Let's uh let's just improv this thing for a little bit. <laughs> um yeah, I think we just improv it. It was fine. Because it was all just lovey, lovey-dovey stuff in the first place. Webster's defines wedding as the removing <laughs> of weeds from one's garden. <laughs> I actually used that in a speech at a wedding. My buddy Dan, <laughs> my buddy Dan was getting married, and for some reason he asked me to speak at it. And yep. uh, <clears throat> we are both uh, bonded by the unbreakable bond of being too fluent in, in Simpsons language for yep. our own good. Yep. And so I delivered probably the strangest speech at a wedding anyone's ever, <laughs> ever experienced. But uh, it did involve me saying wedding, Webster's de- defines wedding as the removing of weeds from one's garden, which is still one of my absolute favorite chucks. <laughs> People in the audience going, meaning what? Yankton's making its move? Yeah. No, everyone was very confused. <laughs> Yeah. I was definitely playing to an audience of one. (laughs) (laughs) It's very off topic. Uh, There's just some random Simpsons joke that popped up uh, on my YouTube feed. It was like, I don't know what episode it is, but Homer's like running from a a helicopter, like police helicopter or a reporting helicopter. And he's like trying to climb up a a pipe to get on the other side of the fence. And like his legs are dangling in the most comical fashion. This is the, it's like the silly. (laughs) This is like the the silliest <laughs> escape I've ever seen or something. It just made me laugh. Um, yeah, so I guess we that's pretty much it. We'll get more of the Bullocks in the next episode. We'll get more Seth in his recovery, and he goes back to Alma. Um, oh, and I guess we didn't talk about Ellsworth. Ellsworth has a pretty decent amount in this episode, too, more than he had in mm-hmm. the first couple episodes. But he escorts Alma around. My favorite Ellsworth moment is... Um, when Bullock glares at him for bringing Alma into the shop, and he just kind of shrugs, like, I don't know what the fuck she wants to do, and yeah. <laughs> has to leave with her. Yeah, Bullock. Bullock has does uh, most of this episode is just him like staring straight ahead. Yeah, with with all of his emotion just sitting behind his eyeballs. <laughs> we yeah. oh, we didn't talk about uh, thirty seconds of Calamity Jane. Oh, yeah, that's right. She returns in this one. She just yells at the carriage as it goes by, right? That's the only scene mm-hmm. you see her. Yeah. She wakes up past, from being passed out on her horse, screams cocksucker, and passes out again. <laughs> so she's still out there in the great wide wide open. Is uh, is Cochran in this episode? Do we see him? Yeah, he is. Um, he's pulling the bullet out of, out of Oh, assault. that's right. Yeah, he, he does that. Yeah, and Saul getting fucked up on opium is uh, enjoyable. I'm yes. sorry I threw up twice. Yeah, he uh, the doc has a great line where he says, "If you was he say if if you hadn't, I would have expected you had a previous habit or yeah, something like that." Yeah, if, yeah. So he he uh, Seth is not a fan of opium apparently and has not had a, a problem with it prior to this. Uh, yeah, I guess that's it then. Cool. So just final thoughts about this one. I I like this one. I found this to be a very entertaining episode. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it closes out. I do remember that this is a fairly unusual episode in that it's the we saw this day from the morning until the night when Bullock drops off mm. his family, and the next episode is through the night to the next morning. So oh, it covers like an entire 24-hour period. I guess that makes sense why they would say it's a two-parter. Just because of that consistency. There. Yeah, because it doesn't... This show doesn't exactly have screaming cliffhangers at the end of their episodes no (laughs) no it's it's i mean it's weird that they yeah it is just kind of weird that they decided this one was maybe just because they um 
while they were producing it, they imagined it to be a bigger event that was going to cross two episodes. But it doesn't really feel all that different for me outside of that time uh, situation mm-hmm. where no time passes between it. But yeah, we'll see. A lie agreed upon part one is over. I really enjoyed it. Um, so hopefully my opinion about the second season is wrong, but we'll see. So who knows? I just I really love the uh, antagonist in the third season. And maybe I'm just misremembering and it's actually a weaker season except for him. But we'll, we'll get there in time. Um, that's it. Any final thoughts from you, Clay? Uh, no. No, I'm looking forward to season two. <clears throat> um, I remember nothing from this of this episode from the first time I watched it through. And I honestly don't even remember how deep into season two I got. Well, I know I <laughs> there is one thing, one indicator that will tell me how deep into season two I got, but that hasn't happened yet. So is that a character appearance? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you at least made it to episode three. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh yeah. So we we will check in next week with the second part of this one. We'll see how it wraps up. And uh, let us know how you guys are enjoying the show, enjoying the podcast, enjoying something pretty. And you can join the Discord. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's the best way to support us is over there. There's a Discord. You can also join that. There's some links down below and all the little uh, podcast blurbs. You can talk about the show over there. Tell us your favorite quote. Tell us your favorite character. And I guess that's it. And Clay and Amanda have their Rotten Horror Picture Show podcast. Clay and Sean have the Badass Podcast talking about Batman the Animated Series. All that stuff at thepenskyvile.com. You can check it out over there along with all the hundred-some-odd podcasts that are on Patreon at this point, too, covering sci-fi, other shows, Star Trek, blah, blah, blah. That's it for something I, pretty. I do too much talking. Yeah, you're we have really a lot pointing of that out to me. I know. it's. it's good. How come you're... Uh, you know, like people wear out the other joint. It's kind of surprising your jaw doesn't wear out as like a common old age problem where you can't talk anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of weird. Point. Yeah. People's arms and legs fall off and they can't use them anymore. I wonder why your jaw doesn't work that way. I don't maybe know. if you use it, maybe it's, maybe it wears out if you don't use it. You know what I mean? So it's like yeah. you're keeping the, keeping the, keeping it limber. <laughs> Is that a cunnilingus to- joke, Clay? Are you, are you, <laughs> <laughs> are you are you pulling an Al Swearingen on me as I'm as I'm saying that my mouth hurts and I can't keep talking here? Yeah, I'm also desperately trying to piss myself. Right <laughs> it's not happening. Age impedes my stream. I don't have that yet. I don't know how old you have to be. Also, oh, I guess that reminds me. Was um was Swearingen dying his hair in this episode? D- did you notice uh, that? I didn't. I was wondering if that was um intentional although no one brings it up i thought i thought that his hair looked unnaturally dark and i was wondering if he was you know in the in the face of about to fight bullock and his like urinary problems i was wondering if the character was going through a sort of like i'm younger than this kind of denial oh interesting yeah i I didn't notice it um i will say however i i i went to see john wick four last week or the week before Mm mm-hmm and uh i don't know if i would have noticed this if we hadn't been watching deadwood but uh ian mcshane really has that that slight lisp people get now when they when they get veneers because he's he's got perfect (laughs) teeth in john wick four and he's got a slight he's got a slight lisp to everything he says now (laughs) versus this when he doesn't have that at all and i've noticed if it's it's usually when an older person, specifically, I don't know why. It, I don't know if age has something to do with it, but the teeth. when they get when they get veneers put in, it's just uh, it, it 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 impedes the speech a little bit. Yeah, turns us all into our inner Ferengi. 
<laughs> That's it. Yes. Thanks, everybody. That's for- why when I need new teeth, I'm going full Klingon, baby. Yeah, why not? If you're going to... You know, you're going to have some horrible surgery where they drill holes into your jaw and screw oh, in fake Jesus. teeth. You might the as well. Thing, man, the thing about veneers, they freak me the fuck out mm-hmm. because in order to get them, you they first have to file down your current teeth yep. into like little stubs. shark teeth. <laughs> like, yeah, nubby shark teeth stubs. And it's just like, I don't know. I, 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 I it's just, it's creepy. I, yeah. I find it to be a very uh, uh creepy process no it's not um not fun because you're choosing to destroy the rest of your teeth right yeah yeah well it'd be better better to go out in a blaze of glory i guess than having your teeth just crack while you're eating a walnut or something like that's that. that's true that's a good point i guess uh do you find that do you find that dental appointments are getting much longer than they used to be do you notice uh, that i have not okay i have not noticed I feel. I feel. Sounds, I used sounds to be, like you got to take better care of your teeth. No, it's just the cleaning. I never have cavities. Yeah. Amy gets mad yeah. at me because I eat candy like a fucking idiot all day, and I don't get cavities. And Amy brushes her teeth five times a day. Has like a five hundred dollar toothbrush, toothbrush that like shoots water in between her teeth and stuff like <laughs> oh, that. Oh yeah, the water pick. Yeah, thing. the water pick. She has that, and she still gets cavities, and I don't. Yeah. But it's my cleanings. I feel like a cleaning used to be half an hour, and now I'm in there for like an hour and fifteen. It just takes so yeah. long to get cleanings done. I don't know. Yeah, I uh, um, I got my first cavity ever last year. Wow. Yeah, and that was after not going to the dentist for <laughs> enough years that I'm not going to say because it's kind of embarrassing. Mm-hmm. But uh, so much so that the doctor said, I, "This is embarrassing." I don't know. <laughs> no, no. That when when she looked at my teeth, she was like, "I don't know what you." what you did but you're playing with house money or something because oh, you yeah because they stayed stayed in good shape yeah well just gotta take care of them it's genetics so any, anytime anytime you're anytime amy gets another cavity just tell her she's got to take better care of her teeth yeah I'd be like Clayton i'm sure i'm sure that'll go down Clayton really didn't go well. to the dentist for seven years he didn't get a single cavity look at you look at what what did you buy this toothbrush <laughs> for then i knock yes, it on the ground can, like cy Tolliver and say that's what you got you can tell her i said that but don't tell her i said the other thing at the no, beginning that's of the show that's fine well, let's get back to our hobbies of pickling things in Cunbrine as we get to the next demo. <laughs> God, so gross. What a great side to Oliver line. Oh, it's so like that's a line where you write that and you just you get shivers up your own back and you're like, yeah, I got it. I nailed that one. <laughs> just the, it's the perfect choice of the word brine. Like no, oh, no yeah, other, that's no the other worst word. part. Yeah, no other word that's would the, work. Yeah, the the combination of pickling and brine is what really does it. <laughs> All right, everybody, this is it. We're done. See you in part two next week. Bye. Dear Mrs. Bullock, your house is near finished. My satisfaction does not exceed the camp's lumbermen and sawyers whose patience I have tried by my overwatchful eye for greenness and for good square edge quality in the cutboards. I've chosen pine, one year season for the sills, post, floor joists, and rafters. The other framing timber is of spruce. Where partitions bear upon them, I have doubled the beams and supported the floor with locust posts set three feet into the ground. I think you may laugh to see the mullion windows with their view of the camp from out the parlor. Being unfinished, they look like unfocused eyes. I have left these and all final decorative choices to your superior judgment and sensibility. I hope that you and the boy may arrive in good health and safety. 
I look forward to our opportunity to better get to know each other. I pray that in my brother's stead, I may be permitted to be a father to the boy, as good as Robert would have been. And as to your care and comfort and safety, as good a husband to you. Yours sincerely, Seth Bullock. <laughs>